0: And with that, we want to take a look this morning at Nehemiah chapter 10. We will actually begin with verse 38 of the ninth chapter because it's a little bit of a clearer entryway. Um, I'm gonna, there's, a, as again, a great litany of names, and so I'm going to wait to do that, or I'll just kind of skip over many of those, and then we'll dive back in. So here's what 938, how it begins. It says, Because of all this, we make a firm agreement in writing. And on that sealed document are inscribed the names of our officials, our Levites, and our priests. Upon the sealed document are the names of Nehemiah the governor, son of Hakaliah, and Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Malkijah. And then just, if you really are interested, just it just keeps going. And then it says, in the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to adhere to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their kin, their nobles and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses the servant of God and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, Our Lord and His ordinance and His statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in merchandise or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also lay on ourselves the obligation to charge ourselves yearly one third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the rows of bread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed festivals, the sacred donations, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We have also cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God. By ancestral houses at appointed times, a year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We will obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our soil and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our livestock, as it is written in the law, and the firstlings of our herds and of our flocks. And to bring the first of our dough and our contribution, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God. And to bring to the Levites the tithes from our soil, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our rural towns, and the priest, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the storerooms where the vessels of the sanctuary are. And where the priests that minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, we will not neglect the house of our God. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we gather together again this morning. And we do so in order to remember to remember who you are, to remember who we are. And so I pray that in these few minutes, Lord, that in that memory, that no matter what other voices may have been coming at us all week, that we will not forget that you are God and that we are loved by you. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So it may be a little hard to see kind of what's going on here. But one of the things that's really happening is that the Israelites in this or the people of Judah in this particular passage and in this section of their lives, this time of their lives, they are really kind of separating themselves from those of other lands. And that can be a little disconcerting, quite frankly, because by and large, we're told not to separate ourselves. Uh, One of the things that's important to point out is that as Derek kidner does is the fact that this is really not a separation of ethnicities it is a separation of the religion of those who are following yahweh and those who are not and we'll remember the story of Ruth the Moabite we talked about it last summer about the fact that even though she was from Moab clearly she was welcomed into the community so it's important to keep that in mind but even with that it's still a little strange I mean we talk about in our own ZPC mission statement that we are to be released for service into our broken world not to be separated we're told by uh, that we're to be a we're blessed to be a blessing to others. We're told by folks like Dietrich Bonhoeffer that the church is only the church when it exists for others. We're told by the good Reverend Jerry Deck (laughs) to always to go out into our neighborhoods in order to be a witness to the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. So why then Are we talking about, in Nehemiah 10, the importance of being separated from the world that is around us? Well, certainly, we believe very strongly in the importance of being scattered. But we also see the importance of being gathered and, at times, of being separated from those who are around us. Remember... That although our mission statement does say that we are called to go out into the world, it also begins by saying that we are called together by God. And I think one of the reasons why it is important for us not just to be scattered, why it is important for us to have space when it is just the family, if you will, who is gathered together is because it is in those moments when you either learn for the first time or when you are reminded for the upteenth time of who you are of who our identity is of who god is You see, the what we are called to do is important. The why we are called to do what we do is essential. But the who is absolutely essential, is even more essential. I know it sounds a little bit like a Dr. Seuss, but the thing is this. The what and the why of what we do is birthed out of the who that we are. And when we lose sight of who we are, then we will always lose sight of what we are called to do and why we are called to do it. So let's think about this when it comes to the people of Judah. Remember the people of Judah. Uh, if you've been here during our series, you know exactly what's happening, which is that the people of Judah have been in exile, the vast majority of them. There are some, of course, who are also there in the, the remnant of Jerusalem, but by and large, what they understand themselves to be are a people who have been conquered by Babylon and a people who now are living under the Persian Empire. While they may have heard of God, if they thought of God very often, it was simply as the God who it seems may have forgotten them. They were raised oftentimes perhaps with parents or grandparents who told them that there was a God, Yahweh, who, who, who maybe who knew them. But by and large, those memories were, were, were lost. We saw that when, when they looked at scripture two weeks ago and how surprised all of a sudden they were like, oh, wait, this is who God is and, and this is who we are. When they looked at themselves, what the people of Judah thought about themselves is that they were a conquered, that they were a poor and oppressed People. They were told what to think, who to pay, and to whom they should pray. This was what they knew because they had been scattered for so long. And it's interesting then to think about what people like Ezra and Nehemiah and the other leaders had then begun to do. Ezra, who went to Jerusalem 13 years before Nehemiah, Ezra went there, and do you know what he rebuilt first and foremost? The temple. A place that was separate and that was geared towards the worship of God. And when Nehemiah went into Jerusalem, do you remember what it is that he was rebuilding? Oh, that's much better. Good. The wall. That's exactly right. So he was there to rebuild the wall, which allowed them then to have some separation and to begin to understand who they were. Two weeks ago, I already said, what did they do? They read the scripture for the first time in a long time. They heard the scripture that said, oh, this is who we are. Oh, okay. This is who God is. Last week, we talked about the prayer of confession and how it gave this great history. They were reminded of who God is and who they were, and that even though they were Faithless, God was still faithful to them. What's critical to see is that what the people of Judah needed was separation physically, emotionally, temporally for a time in order to be able to understand who they were. Because when you forget who you are, then you will eventually begin to forget what you are supposed to do and why you are supposed to do it. I think as I was reflecting on this, it's a little bit like a family dinner. Now, We've, I've talked about this before, the importance, I think, of family dinner. Research backs it up. Having family dinners with your children is really critical. That those who regularly have family dinners, that they do better academically, that they are emotionally less stressed, that they do better, that they're healthier, that they have better familial relationships, um, there 's a decrease of risk of, of, of being uh, of drinking or of, uh, of smoking or of drugs. All those things happen because of the fact of those people who regularly have family meals now there 's probably lots of reasons for that, but one of them, it seems to me, is because at a family meal, you are reminded of who you are. This is what we found at least in our own Family, when we gather together, and we don't always say, we don't get around and say, Okay, remember, we're having the family meal so that all of our children will remember who you are. We don't do that, but here is what we do we always begin with, We're the pastors, by the way. It's always, and no, I'm not going to go. Okay, so yes, we always, I was going to say how funny it is when you go over to other people's houses and sometimes they look like they're going to eat without praying, and all of a sudden they see, they, they remember they invited the pastor over, so all of a sudden they have a quick prayer. It's, it's always fun. Anyway, so. So we begin with prayer, right? And why do we begin with prayer? Because we we, we remember who God is, right? We remember that we are dependent upon him first and foremost, which then helps us to remember who we are, right? Uh, We listen to one another. Why? Because this is what decks do. We are a people who listen. We respect one another, We're still working on that at times, quite frankly. The respect isn't always there, but we're working on the fact that this is who we are. We are a people who respect one another. Uh, uh, um, They are reminded, our children are, repeatedly, that we are the adults and they are the children. That happens a lot, quite frankly. But in all of this, because we have created the physical space... And the emotional space and the time, they are reminded that they are loved by us and that they are loved by God. That they are children of ours and children of God. That this is who they are. And one of the things that we have noticed is that even though they've been taught this since they were knee high to a grasshopper, They need these meals and to be reminded of that more now than they ever did before. Because now they are scattered. Every day, three of them go to school. And you know what happens when you go to school? You are told that your identity is something different than what we have been telling them their identity is. Now their identity begins to be built oftentimes on if someone told them that they weren't attractive, that they were ugly, that they weren't very smart, that they weren't very popular, and that's all the meaning and purpose of things, that they're not very athletic, right? So they hear all of those things when they are away so that when they come back together again and we eat, we remind them, no, 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 that is not who you are. You are a loved child of ours and of God. Perhaps even more seductively, quite frankly, they can be told from time to time when they go to school, Oh, no, no, no. You are really smart. You are really athletic. You are really popular. Now you may be saying, oh, well, that's fine. What's wrong with that? What you discover is that when people begin to think that's ultimately who they are, those things begin to enslave them. And so we remind them that while it may be great that you did well running, it may be great that you did well on a test, at the end of the day that is not the most important thing of who you are. You are a loved child of God. That is who you are. And if we don't regularly take spot or create space for that to happen, I am here to tell you their identity will begin to come from others rather than from God. And so one of the things then that we see here is that it is important, not continually. We still send them to school. We're not always happy about it, but we still send them to school. The people of Judah here, they have this time to separate, but then they still go out after that. Right? That's what we're called to do, but we are called to come together. And I think far too often, we as adults think that we may be past that. But you know those voices are always there that will tell you that your meaning comes from what your boss says. Who your boss says you are. Who a spouse maybe says you are. who The car that you drive. The house that you live in. Quite frankly, oftentimes the thing that crushes our own identity are the internal thoughts that we have ourselves that are oftentimes counter to who God says that you are. And so we have to create space. I want us to hear this to be separate so that we can know who we are, so that when we go out we can know what to do and why it is that we are doing it. But we have to continually be reminded of that. And so what are those practices that we can do to create space? One of those practices, of course, we talked about two weeks ago. It's the reading of Scripture. Another practice is prayer. Did you all get those reminders during this week? I hope that you did. The text um, that reminded you that say, remember who God is. Remember God's faithfulness, right? That was a great time to kind of create that space to do so. Well, this week we're told as well of the importance of the practice like Sabbath, We've talked about Sabbath before, but Sabbath creates time and space for us to stop working and to simply be. Now here's the thing. Usually when it comes to Sabbath, we just think about the things we should do or the things we shouldn't do. But Will Williman and Stanley Hauerwas remind us of this important thing. It says, Sabbath is how we get over our amnesia. Remember uh, last week we talked about Walter Brueggemann said that prosperity breeds amnesia. We're always worried about forgetfulness because we forget. So it's our amnesia and recover our memory of how we got here who we are and in whose service we are called. Sabbath is not just about taking a nap. It is not just about saying no to things. It is a time to remember who we are. Right? And in Nehemiah 10, they say, look, when you do the Sabbath, don't, don't sit there and keep, uh, keep buying things from those who are coming in. No, no, no. They were making this importance, the importance, the absolute critical nature of the Sabbath. Now, one of the things to remember as we talk about the Sabbath is, do you remember when they got the commands to do the Sabbath? It was after God had freed them from being enslaved to to Egypt, to the Egyptians. Now, here's one of the things that's really important to remember. Who did the people, who did the Israelites, after having been enslaved for generations, if you had asked them, who are you, guess who they probably would have said they were? Slaves. Because they had been raised in slavery. Their parents had been raised in slavery. Their grandparents had been raised in slavery. And so they would have thought, we are slaves. And even though, this is important to remember, even though God had delivered them, the reality is that they still would have thought more often than not, their default would have been that we are slaves. And so when there was the command to take a Sabbath, which meant that you weren't working It helped you to remember that your worth was not based on the kind of work that you could do as a slave. Your worth was the fact that you are a child of God. And so they created this space to remember who they were. And I think that there are far too many Christians who think That just because we know we've received the love of God, we've received the grace of God, we think, okay, now that we have that, now we're all good, and we don't realize that our default will always be to go back to those other voices who say, this is why you matter, and this is who you are. And that is why, I pray that you hear, just hear this. Understanding your identity, that you are loved by God, will not just happen. It takes a great amount of intentionality and creating space to separate. Here's what Carl Barth says. Carl Barth says, there must be from time to time an interruption, a rest, a deliberate non-continuation, a temporal pause to reflect on God and his work. What's the analogy that I always use for this? Everyone's nervous. A speed bump. Because what happens at a speed bump? You you slow down. You begin to pay attention to what's going on around you. It forces you to stop for a moment unless you don't like your car, right? It forces you to slow down. Far too many of us think that we can keep being hurried And that we will just automatically remember who we are. And what the Sabbath does is say, no. Here's what Eugene Peterson says He says this He says, when we work, we are most Godlike, which means that it is in our work that it is easiest to develop God pretensions. And remember, who are you not? You are not God. Good. That one we know. Good. Unsabbathed, our work becomes the entire context in which we define our lives. We can be slaves, not to the Egyptians. But to our bosses, to consumerism, to all those things, we lose God consciousness, God awareness, sightings of resurrection. And so we must remember that if we want to be able to create space, if we want to know who we are, we have to be willing to find times to put them into a normal rhythm so that we will have space to do this. If you ask me what's probably, probably the thing that we wrestle with the most here in our area, my guess is, and I will admit that I struggle with this as well, is the practice of Sabbath. Sabbath, Peterson goes on to say at some point, that it, is, it goes against the desecration of time. That we speed through life far too quickly. And when we do so, we forget who God is and who we are. Now what's another thing that we can do that this passage seems to say a practice? And another practice that we have here is the importance of the of. Of God. For them, that was the temple. For us, it's a place like this particular space. We're told there, it's a very lengthy part of the passage, quite frankly, about the importance of being generous and giving towards the Levites who were the pastors. Scott wanted me to make sure that I mentioned that. Um, And to the house of God. For as long as the church has been around, they have taken the Sabbath, And they have used a part of it to be able to come in, oftentimes into a separate space. It used to be houses. Now it tends to be more church buildings like this. In order to be able to worship. In order to be able to sing. In order to be able to read Scripture. In order to be able to confess our sin. In order to be able to pray. In order to be able to listen to the message or to the Scripture and it interpreted. In order to be encouraged and challenged by others. Oftentimes we came into a physical space much like this one in order to give us separation so that we can remember who we are and whose we are. Because once you know who, then you know what and you know why. My guess is that most of us may not understand the complete significance of a physical building in order to remember who you are. I've told you all before that when I was growing up, I had no desire, absolutely no desire to be a pastor. And the reason for that, I think, is probably because I just there was just never somebody, I never had a pastor who I thought, man, that is who I want to be. Um, and, and I had good pastors. They were fine pastors. I didn't have any bad pastors, I don't think. But I, they just never evoked my passion, right? There was just nothing about it that said, oh, that would be so wonderful. Uh, and so when I was approaching 30 years old and, um, and, and, and all of a sudden I began to feel like maybe I was going to be a pastor, A, it surprised me, um, 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 B, and at, at certain points it depressed me, but C... Um, I began to reflect on my own time in the church as a way of helping me to understand what that would be like. The memory, though, one of those few memories that kept coming up to mind was the church when I was in high school. I've told you all before that I did not go to a a very nice high school. Uh, It was a a high school that had a, a lot of violence uh, it was a high school that was that was continually filled with racial tensions. It was uh, a high school where, honestly, and I, and I, and I don't say this haphazardly, I really did not know if I would make it out of there alive, quite frankly. And, and I was a pretty scrawny kid, unlike, you know, the... Um... <laughs> all right, still just... All right, so I was scrawny, I was fearful, and I had... I mean, my acne was horrible. It was a nightmare for a high schooler. And when I was in high school, living that continual life of fear, I want you to know there were a couple of times a week when I didn't feel that. On Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. Because Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights were when I walked into a church building. And every time I walked into that church building, it was like walking into an oasis for a dry and dusty desert that at that point was my life. Because when I walked into that building, here is what I knew. That inside this building were a group of people who knew me and loved me. What I knew, even if I couldn't verbalize it at the time, was that when I went into that building, I would be reminded that who I was was not what other people told me or what I thought when I looked in the mirror, but who I was was a loved person of God. For that time, when I was inside that building, I was safe, I was cared for, and I could feel the embrace not just of the people there but the embrace of God himself who would say to me it will be okay. And as I looked back probably 12 years previous as I was thinking about this one of the things I realized was that that place yes even that physical building was something that shaped me not just one or two hours a week but that shaped my whole life. And a space that is free and creating that physical space allows people, like a scrawny little 14-year-old, to be reminded of who they are. So as I've been thinking about this, I've been reminded of this particular passage of Nehemiah 10, right? And and, and as I was thinking about the importance of that created space, I have to admit to you, when I read through this chapter earlier in the week, I chuckled to myself. I, I mentioned a few weeks ago that I know that there are some of you, there may still be some of you, who are convinced that I picked the book of Nehemiah so that I could prepare everybody for the capital campaign that would then help change our physical property. And so when I read this, I thought, well, if you thought that before, you really think that now, right? Because the whole thing is about being generous and not just a little bit generous. It actually goes above and beyond what previous regulations said. And it's all, it goes back to verse, to the very last verse, which says, we will not neglect the house of our God. But it was so clear and obvious that I also thought there's really nothing else that I should say about it. Because all I would do is just add to things or or take away from it. And And so as we think about this, if you want to go back and look over this passage more closely, I will allow you to do that. I'm not going to directly correlate this particular passage with what we're thinking about in the future of our church building. I'll let Nehemiah do that. Here is what I want to do, though. I want to take this moment To remind us of the past when it comes to the church and this building, which has led to where we are today. And I want to do that briefly through the lens of Pete Hudson. Pete, you may know him, you may not know him, but Pete was an absolute pillar of Zionsville Presbyterian Church. He passed away just a few days ago. If there was a Hall of Fame for ZPCers, Pete would not only be in that Hall of Fame, he would be the first picture that was up. He would be the first Person that you would see. Pete Hudson was one of the first ZPCers I met. And I didn't meet him here. I met him at his house. And the reason I met him at his house was because even though I just met him, he was going to allow me, my wife, and our three children at that time to live in his house for four months while he was down in Florida. (laughs) What was he thinking? right? I meet three little kids. He doesn't know us from Adam, and yet there he is. And I told the family a few days ago, if you want to learn about somebody, live in their house, go through their closets, (laughs) rifle through their medicine cabinet, and wear their bathrobes and slippers. Now, when I told Pete's wife Sue this, she seemed a little concerned about all that, but I think it was fine. But the thing that we learned very early on about Pete, obviously, was his remarkable hospitality. And it gave us a glimpse as to the hospitality and the welcome of this congregation. Pete Hudson. 35 years ago or so, was committed and convinced that this area needed a church, that Zionsville was going to grow, and it needed a church. And so I've told stories about Pete before. I've told stories to you all about how Pete would go from door to door with some other folks, and he would knock on their doors here in in little Zionsville, and he would ask them if they went to church. And if not, well, would they like to go to a church? And if so, would they like to come join this little kind of burgeoning church that we had I talked about the fact that uh, uh, um, Pete—he, this was a story I told not long ago because he told it to me only a couple months ago—that when they were thinking about buying this property, that the realtor thought that they were absolute fools because there is just—you know—why would you want a a property right here on this little two-lane road, and and it was going to cost for the four to four and a half acres? I think it was like eighty-five or ninety-five thousand dollars, and they thought that was just—I mean—that was moronic. Don't buy this. I mean, what could ever happen here? But Pete said, no, this is what we are going to do. So Pete and a couple other folks, they helped to invest in this. And they ended, up, you know, they ended up buying this property, as you can see. They ended up kind of giving to this. And Pete, over the last 30 years, has invested in just about every way that you can. In this building, in the staff, in the pastors, in the life of ZPC. And I went and saw him a little less than two weeks ago. And I kind of had an agenda. I knew what I wanted to talk to him about. And when I walked in, I saw he was in worse shape than I had anticipated. And so I threw away my agenda and I said, this is the time, Pete. Here's what I want you to know. This is probably one of the sweeter times that I have had in my time here at ZPC. Because I looked at this 87-year-old man and I said to him, Pete, here's what I want you to know, brother. We are so thankful for you. And what I want you to know, Pete is that everything that goes on here at ZPC, every person who over the last 35 years has met Jesus, every person whose faith has grown because of this place, every ministry that we do here, including the food pantry, every time that we house homeless here for a week, every time we go do missions in places like Uganda or Haiti, everything that happens here, every time that we read the scripture and sing songs and give praise to God, if you were to trace it back, it would all go back to the work that Pete did some 35 years ago how incredible to be able to know that you were a part of that now Pete was is far too humble but now that he's dead we can say this we can give praise to God for the work of someone who knew how critical it was to have a place to create space physically, emotionally, temporally for people to remember who they are. To remember who God is. And to know that one person, that you can have an impact that creates waves that you may never have even known. And so I want to say here, before even the funeral tomorrow for Pete, how thankful we are to God for his faithfulness. And I want to remind all of us of the importance. Of creating space physically, emotionally, in your daily life, in your weekly life, in your yearly life, to create those times, to be intentional. You do not want the world out there or the demons inside to tell you who you are. We need to be reminded that we are first and foremost, beloved children of God. May we put those rhythms into our lives so that then we might know to what we are called to do and to where we are called to go. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would be with us in this time. We do thank you, Lord, for the life of those who have gone before us. For their importance of seeing what it is that we do here. And we pray, Lord, that you would help each and every one of us to be intentional about creating that space that we might know that we are loved by you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.